0: We are going to be in Ephesians 5 today as you have your Bibles. Hello, Internet people. You're important too. You're just on a delay. All right. So there's a couple things occasioning this this message. You know, I am not a lawyer, but word on the street is that some new laws have come into effect recently that's kind of outlawed, or will soon, that outlaws what they call conversion therapy, which is therapy designed to help somebody Um, essentially overcome unwanted like homosexual attraction or something like this. And um, that was a big thing in the 90s and 00s, and I think now it's outlawed. And the concern is with the way the laws are written, we don't know this yet because it hasn't been tested in court, that it will actually just be illegal to say things like the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin out loud on the Internet, that that was now illegal in Canada or something like that. And so... In the context of knowing that this is kind of where our country is going, um, and also in another context, I thought it'd be good to talk about Ephesians 5. What's the other context? Jesus said, If anybody believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what he meant was that if you believe in Jesus, as Elmer was talking about, and as we've been singing about, You don't just become somebody who's adopted a new way of thinking. You get radically transformed into the kind of person who is indwelled by the Spirit of God in such a way that God's character and power flows out of us like rivers, plural, of water coming into a desert area like the Middle East. Was anybody here last week? Put up your hand last week. Does this ring and a bell, put up your hand nice and high. You're in a charismatic church. Thank you. If you want to be embarrassed about putting your hands up, this is the wrong geographical place to be taking this in. But you're still welcome here, and we can baby step our way. In fact, just because I'm a power hungry manipulator, everybody put both hands up for a little bit. Okay, you can do it. I don't know if you've noticed, but the revival's already started. It's mostly located in the front row on the right here, on your left right now. But someday soon, everybody's going to be freely worshiping the Lord with all the body movements you can survive. And I say that because usually it takes me till about Thursday to stop hurting after the worship on Sunday. But I'm just really out of shape. All that being said... Um, Christians are people who have spirit-filled ideas about what it means to be men and what it means to be women and what it means to act like that. And we're going to learn this by looking at Scripture today because it ain't no good just to say, stop being homosexual or stop being transgender or stop doing bad things that are sexually immoral We aren't just a people who judge people for what they do with their bodies. We are a people called to live out the truth in the power of God. Knowing that apart from Jesus dying for our sins and apart from being transformed by the Holy Spirit according to the scripture, we would be just as bad or worse than anybody else we could judge. All of our hope is that God the Father chose to love us sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and that all real change in this life happens because the Holy Spirit empowers a changed mind and a changed heart resulting in changed behaviors. That's all of our hope. So we're never ever any better than anybody else except that God has transformed us and we want everybody else to come along with the journey because the cost of not being changed is huge and everlasting. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And I was mostly going to just start with the second half, which you might be familiar with. But as I kept reading backwards in the chapter, there was more kind of stuff to say to prove my point. So we're going to read lots of scripture together today. Anybody excited about that? Say hooray. And so we're going to read most, if not all, of, no, most of chapter 5. There's a little bit in the middle that we're skipping over. But... I want you to be listening for calls to imitate God or calls to imitate Christ as well as teachings about human sexuality in this chapter. Amen? Let's read the very words of God. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Believer, this is who you are. You are a loved child of God. Loved daughter, loved son. This is your greatest relationship and your truest identity. You are a being, a creature, who is loved by God in such a way that it delights the Father to call you son and daughter. And he says, Now that you're my kids, act like me. Verse 2, And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is the start of all imitating God, is that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us so that we love others by giving ourselves up for them. (coughs) Excuse me, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, covetousness is the lust for a possession that God hasn't given to you, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now we're doing some pre-work here to where I want to go, but this is important to understand. There are two kinds of children spiritually in this world. There are beloved children of God and there are sons of disobedience. One is under the love of God and the other is under the wrath of God. Where are you at? And Paul is really concerned, writing through the Holy Spirit, that we're not tricked into thinking that we can be sexually immoral and have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. That's not a possibility. that we can be covetous, that we can be covetous, that we can worship the Creator by declaring something God has made more important than God himself, and have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, not true, not a fact. Don't think like this. Don't be deceived. As God's beloved children, don't let your mind be twisted into thinking this is a possibility. Amen? Truth matters. Skipping ahead to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, meaning how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are the days evil? Anybody wonder? Does it feel like the days are evil? Yeah? Okay, so our job as beloved children of God is to make the best use of the time when we see evil days. Not to despair, not to rage, not to melt things down, not to blow things up, but to make the best use of the time. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And now we start to get to the good stuff. What's the will of the Lord? 15% tithing, right? Wrong. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, meaning a waste or just a waste of your life, a waste of money. But be filled with the Spirit. What's the will of the Lord for your life? Okay, again, charismatic church, where <laughs> Thank you. Charlotte isn't here this morning, it looks like. So you all have to be Charlotte. I need some yeses. I need some amens. I need some preach. I need some shouting out and then wondering if you should have shouted out. I need all that stuff from the rest of you for my dear sister who isn't doing the job of the amen section today. What is the will of the Lord? It's to not be drunk with wine, but what? To be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Anyone who believes in Jesus, as the Scripture says, out of his or her heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the will of God for your life. And then we have a few expressions of being filled with the Spirit that Paul, writing by the Spirit, is thinking about here. He's not going to go to the gifts. He's not going to go to the fruit. He's going to go to a few different things. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. So that's being filled with the Spirit, number one, is you're singing to God quite a bit. Sometimes out loud, but when you're on an airplane, maybe just in your heart or something like that. No, don't do this, do me internet. Okay. Now you get to see if I'm full of the Spirit or not. (laughs) I love a challenge. Lord, fill me afresh right now. If you have your physical copies with you, now is the time to rip it open. So, being filled with the Spirit, number one, is singing to the Lord, making melody, singing to each other, and singing quietly in your heart even. Expression of being filled with the Lord, number two, is this. giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And expression number three, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So these are three Christ-centered expressions of being filled with the Spirit, singing to the Lord, giving thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord, and submitting to each other out of reverence for the Lord. Reverence meaning this like holy fear of the awesomeness of the Lord. Anybody here like holy fear? I really do. That sense that right now, a man who was dead is with us invisibly, and if we could see him, he would melt our faces off, and he has all authority to judge everybody, both in this life and eternally at the end of time. He is awesome and holy and fearsome and no one can stop him and he has complete control over peoples and hearts and nations and viruses and courses of history and he's right here. Revere him in his holiness and submit to each other as an expression of that reverence because the most powerful man who ever lived lived like a slave to the will of God to serve people who did not deserve it. Amen? And the scriptures say, be imitators of him as beloved children. Act just like Jesus as beloved children. Good? No signal. Can you see me on the internet? There's no way for you letting me know. Hope they can see me on the internet. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing overall, but hey. Now let's get to the specific stuff. And this is where I'm really going to struggle because I was very notes dependent on this part. Calling us to be imitators of God. Calling us to lay our lives down like Jesus did. Out of love. Calling us to forsake all sexual immorality. Calling us... To be filled with the Spirit, calling us to be full of praise and thanksgiving and submission to each other. The scriptures then takes this to our sexual lives in the home, which is where God wants it to be. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does to the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore a man, the quoting from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. Sorry, this mystery is profound, And I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Pause the sermon for a second. Greg, where are we at? Should I have any hope? Okay. Is there any chance you can print off the slides from there? Okay. I will need those in about 5 minutes to 10 minutes okay, pause the sermon a second time Uh, Calvert Chapel is a relational church we are not a performance church okay I don't care that we don't have the slides I'm not here to impress you If you want to come here to be blessed by God, you will get that blessing. But if you're here to evaluate and judge how the technology works, it's not going to go well for you in the long run. We care about hearts and worship. We don't care about performance here. And yes, we want to do our best, but technology happens, and we don't care. Amen? The the, the screen stopped, and Jesus fell off his throne and is now curled up in a ball in heaven, crying, wondering what's going to happen now that the screen doesn't work. True? False. Okay? False. We are a spirit-filled relational church and all we care about is pleasing Jesus with our responses and loving our brothers and sisters as ourselves. And we can do that right now. Amen? Because this is going to keep happening until we together learn our lesson. This is going to keep happening until we stop grumbling and fussing and complaining about when this does happen. Amen? Don't parents do this? You're going to keep getting disciplined until you learn your lesson. Amen? So, God, thank you for this opportunity to join most of the world in worshipping you without a projector. Jesus, you did not need one ounce of technology to do your ministry, and neither do I. And so, God, I thank you, I love you, I worship you, And you have my permission to make this as difficult as you want on me until I've learned my lessons. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Okay, we're not children anymore. We're beloved children, but we're not children. We're going to keep growing in the Lord. COVID's not shutting us down. Technology's not shutting us down. If I go to jail, this is not shutting us down. We're not babies. We believe in Jesus and we can do this. Okay, sorry. Picking up the message again. In context, the Bible's teachings about husbands and wives imitating Christ in the church is the application of what it means to be a spirit-filled male and a spirit-filled female who rejects sexual immorality. This is the way forward for people who don't want to live in bondage like the world. In context, he's building a case. Now that you're saved by Christ and God is your dad, reject the sexual immorality of the world and instead embrace the imitation of Christ in your home and in your bed. Men be Jesus. Women be the church. Show the world the gospel. On Friday, someone in the staff room says to me, Rob, what's a good gospel for the Easter story? Because I want to write a skit. Why? Because if you write a skit, people can watch you act out the truth. And when they see you act out the truth, then they can understand and believe in the Lord in a different way than if they're just told with words. True? Husbands and wives, spirit-filled people, You're in the play already. You've been given your roles in the drama of God. And the Spirit of God is in you to help you show the world what salvation looks like by having a guy who tries his best to act just like Jesus dying on the cross and a woman who does her best to act just like the church honoring her Lord. And if we can show people what it looks like to be sexually spirit-filled, maybe they'll stop going to all this other stuff they think is going to actually fill them up. Because if you don't have the spirit to fill you, your only other option is to get drunk with wine. Except for us, we're so technologically advanced, we don't just have wine. We have weed, we have fentanyl, we have prescription stuff, we have the internet, we have pornography, we have Tinder, we have all kinds of ways to addict away the emptiness that's in our souls because we're not filled with the Spirit. We have all kinds of ways to try to numb the pain of being orphans in this world because we're sons of disobedience instead of beloved children of God. Amen? Amen? And they need to see that there's something better than getting what you want in the bedroom. They need to see that spirit-filled self-sacrifice is more pleasant, pleasing, and powerful than being able to click and download your next hit. Amen? And so we're given this mission from God to show kids and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and people who come over to our house for a meal after church, what the gospel looks like when people are filled with the Spirit as the scripture says and have a river of living waters flowing to their spouse. That's the mission. That's the job. That's the call. I, it, it's great. Isn't it? Sometimes we don't like this. Right? Sometimes we don't want to do this. Thanks, Greg. Can everybody give this guy a clap? Definitely one of the most helpful human beings in the world. Plus, he leads a pretty mean worship set. Okay, thanks for bearing with me, everybody. Sometimes uh, we want a different way because this seems costly, right? Right? Someone's got to die. Someone's got to submit. Uh, doesn't seem like getting what you want. And we live in a time where the point of being alive is getting what we want. Right? Right? Anybody? And so sometimes we can go a different way. But I don't think there is a different way. Uh, so here's here's why it seems like... This is God's way. And you can kind of test this. Elizabeth Elliot, who I've referenced before, who um, is a pretty cool lady, one time she switched up the roles a little bit to see how it sounded like with verses 22 through 24. And this is what it sounds like. Husbands, submit to your own wives as to the church. For the wife is the head of the husband, even as the church is the head of... Christ, his body, and is herself his Savior. Now, as, the, as Christ submits to the church, so also husbands should submit in everything to their wives. Does that sound like the gospel? Did we save Jesus? It's a different story. It's a different story, right? It's it's not what happened. And so in a time when people are making things up for themselves, I think it's a good time for us to not make things up for ourselves. The LGBT community has a few things right. Okay? Can we just admit it? Number one thing they get right um, we're not just bodies. There are lots of people that just look at the world and they just see chemicals, they just see molecules, they just see people as meat sacks. But they're right. We're not just bodies. What we do with our bodies has meaning. And what you think about yourself as a man or a woman really matters. They're right about that. What they're not right about is that they tend to have a philosophy that if you want to know what your identity is, you look into your heart and you trust your heart, and then you do what the desires of your heart are, and as the desires of your heart come out, that is your real you. But we as believers know that's not the truth, that we know that our hearts aren't entirely trustworthy because of the fall and because of sin our hearts will regularly deceive us and want to do things want us to do things that are not good and instead we have a creator who knows who we are and he knows what he made and he loves us and he has a purpose for us and he has a destiny for us and he has a plan for us and so we don't look to our hearts for truth We look to the one who made us for truth and we look to the Savior who came for us to be the one who brings us from where we are to where we're supposed to be through transformation. But now is a really good time to let God tell us the truth so that we can be a light shining in the darkness in these days. And I also think this is really just good. This is the best way. So what does this mean for us? Oh boy, I wish I had some projectors right now. Number one, um, and this may be the biggest leap for us, is we really are, as spirit-filled females and males, meant to see our sexuality as all about God. It's a gift from God. It's invention of God, it's an idea of God it's a creation of God, it isn't our possession it's not our tool, it's not ours, it's God's, it really is God's and we are blessed to be these wonderful creatures who can know God and serve God and we're given male and female as ways of expressing him to the world what an honor, what a privilege how holy are we But if we take our sexuality and we make it about ourselves and we make it about relationships and jockeying and achievements and stuff like this, we've already lost the Lord and his will for our lives. And we can never actually become who we were meant to be. Second thought about what this means for us is we ought to feel a sense of holiness. I was just talking about being male and female. To be male? Wow. Wow. Guys, we get to image God in a masculine way. We get to particularly show off his strength and authority and what it looks like when strength and authority sacrifices itself for other people's good. Wow. What a calling. How holy is that? And females, how holy to be a woman how holy to be made in the image of God. This is not a game. This is the holiness of God. Revere him now. You get to show off the glory and the life-giving power of God in a particular way. You get to produce other images of God? How holy Have you ever just knelt before the Lord as a woman and just said, I can't believe I get to be a woman? Or knelt before the Lord as a man and just said, I can't believe you've made me a man in the image of God? And, as beloved children who are called to imitate Him, we ought to Set ourselves to live out these truths singles people who are single because you haven't been married or you're post marriage or you're widowed or a widower there is something about singlehood which is farther ahead on the journey to being united with Christ than people who are still married because the destiny is to not be married we aren't you aren't married to any human being in heaven You aren't married to any human being in heaven. You're married to Christ. And singles, it's a hard road, but all the roads are hard. It's a hard road, but you get to live out being married to Christ in a different way now. That's why Paul said, I wish you could all be single, scattering the hopes of dreams of young people throughout the history of the church. Because there is something Better about being single in this life where you're actually closer to the destiny of the church. And I just want to admit that in a time that worships sexual activity to be single is actually closer to heaven in an important way. It's just a hard gift. And I don't know what I'm talking about here. So if you want to throw rocks at me later, you can. And I'll try to dodge them. And even if you hit me, God has commanded me to grow in the Lord from stuff like that. So you'll be fine. Husbands and wives, in your calling to represent Christ in the church, be reconciled to each other. All kingdom work really starts with forgiveness and peacemaking. Your husband won't change while you're fighting. Your wife won't change while you're fighting. Be reconciled to each other. Be reconciled. Jesus died for all of your spouse's sins and your sins too. Be reconciled to each other. In peace. Forgive. Forgive each other for Jesus' sake. One of the things about marriage or living together is you know the junk. Amen? And the other one knows the junk. And if it really explodes, both of you can form those like expose websites that ruin each other's lives. That's part of the deal. Forgive. Forgive for Jesus' sake. All the way up and all the way down. And when you need a miracle and you need some help, This is the work of marriage. The real work of marriage really is to forgive and to stay forgiving and to stay reconciled. And if we can do that, a lot of the stuff sorts itself out. But when the joy is gone and the sweetness is is gone and the fellowship is gone and the the peace is gone, look for unforgiveness. Look for a breakdown in relationship. And that's priority number one. There is a reason why right before we started reading in chapter 5, Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't let the devil have a foothold. Sometimes we let the devil have a foothold in our homes because we don't forgive the people in our homes. And there's, there can be all kinds of blame and all kinds of things to point at, but the truth is the devil's in there and the only way to get him out is humility and confession and forgiveness on both sides. We need to stop judging each other. We need to stop judging each other. If you need help with that, you can listen to last week's message. But It's really easy to judge your spouse, right? It's really easy to judge people in your home. It's really easy to judge your brothers and your sisters. No good will come from it, but it's really easy to do it. So we forsake all fault-finding, all cheap criticism, all... All that kind of stuff. We get rid of that stuff because that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a Christ who died to forgive all sins and a bride who loves him for it. What does this mean for the males? Is any guy nervous nervous yet? Number one. I would encourage you, if you, as you're receiving God's word, for you to act out Christ-likeness in this relationship to make your first goal to pray for your wife every single day, multiple times a day. If you forget to pray for yourself, it's fine. Don't forget to pray for your wife. If you forget to pray for your provision, that's fine. Don't forget to pray for your wife. If you forget to pray for your work, that's fine. Don't forget to pray for your wife. Romans 8 tells us that Christ is right now interceding for his church and he will not stop until he comes to get her back. You would never stop praying for the good of your wife. Amen, guys? Okay, so starting today, if that's not been your life, you send up one of those sorry gods and starting today, you never stop praying for her good. Number two, save your wife from yourself. Do you know what I mean by that? It's an unfortunate reality that sometimes a woman's husband is the worst part of her life. Save your wife from yourself. Same way Jesus was willing to die for the good of his wife, we need to be willing to die to all of our sin and selfishness for the good of our wife. Particularly as men, we need to overcome every kind of anger. Our wives should never be afraid of us blowing up, melting down, or spazzing out. Even on her worst day, because Jesus never blows up or melts down or spazzes out. He, even, he does get angry sometimes, but it's always perfectly controlled. We need to rescue our wives from our lusts and our temptation to lust. Our wives should expect that even in the secret parts of our minds, we are fighting the battle of faith and honoring her and treasuring her above all else. And we really need to destroy our own self-pity. Any guys ever struggle with that, feeling sorry for yourselves? Okay. Did Jesus not go to the cross because of it was going to cost him so much personally? No, we, 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 need to, we need to totally destroy all self-pity, all feeling sorry for ourselves, all saying this is too hard or the cost is too high or I can't face this or I can't beat this or I can't get through this, I can't go that high, I can't go that low. Nope, there's no self-pity allowed for a Christ-representing husband. Because Jesus is not like that. So follow me. I'm probably the biggest self-pityer who's ever attended Calvary Chapel. I don't know how I ended up being one of the people on the stage here. Don't tell your friends. Self-pity, lust, and anger are big ones that your wife should not be experiencing from you as you imitate Christ in your home. Uh, Evaluate your time. Um... Jesus was full-time saving his wife for the three years before his crucifixion and your time should have an eye to whether or not this really is going to help your wife in her holiness and joy in the Lord. All, uh, all, All your free time could be up for grabs for serving the goodness of your wife. Do you ever want Jesus to take a break from taking care of you? for the weekend. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that stuff, but it's, you've got your priorities straight. She, she's your church. Jesus doesn't sleep taking care of his church. He never goes to bed. That's one of the benefits of being resurrected from the dead is you never need to sleep again. And every single minute of the day, Jesus is spending his time on his church. Again, I'm not saying you can't have Hobbies. But they do need to bow the knee to the mission of serving. Your wife self-sacrificially be a good listener. One thing I've never heard a woman come into my office and say is that my husband listens too well. I'm willing to experience that event. Hasn't happened yet. Prove me wrong. And guys, be a man of the word. There's lots of men who feel like they're not Bible guys, and that's fine, but not really. Because according to this, Jesus washed his wife with the word, and so every guy who calls himself a Christian should be in the word enough to be able to bless his wife with the word. It could be as simple as just opening the Bible and saying, God, teach me something that will be a benefit to my wife. Or you could become a PhD theologian, but one way or the other, your wife should be blessed by the word of God coming through you to her. Amen? Have I said anything that sounds like a bad deal yet? You can send me an email later. What does this mean for the females? How can you act out churchhoodness? Number one, appreciate your husband. Does it ever feel easy to kind of stop appreciating him? Did you know when you read Romans chapter 1, the whole story goes wrong, right, Taylor, when people stop appreciating God. All the destruction in the universe is when people just stop wanting to appreciate God for what he's done. So set your heart just to appreciate him between the smells and the hobbies. There can feel like there's a lot not to appreciate every once in a while, but set your heart to appreciate him and letting him know Number two, sisters, dear sisters, faith your fears. Not face your fears, but faith your fears. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter really identifies fear as something that wives need to face. I don't know if he means in the world in general or in the home, but do you ever feel afraid of how your home is going or what your husband might do or not do or your kids might do or not do or what God might allow or not allow? Anybody? Is it just me? Hey, do they ever Do you ever feel like that? There's a particular call for the sisters to face their fears in the home. Thought number three: speak well of your man. Uh, sometimes it can just be easy to casually talk down people, but I would encourage you to speak well of your husbands in public, just to make that your ha- habit because it kind of represents the church's job to speak well of Jesus in public, right? We call it evangelism. Evangelism is the activity of trying to help people think better of Christ, our husband, so that they like him too, correct? So you, you can church it by helping people think well of your, your husband. That's how you speak. Thought number four, have a vision of spiritual strength for him. One of the things I really enjoy about my wife is that she has this picture of me as this really great pastor, husband. And she lets me know pretty quick when it doesn't look like I'm about to fulfill that really great picture of a faith-filled pastor and husband. And I really like it because the other option is for her to kind of like baby me or think, oh, it's normal to not do well. So I really appreciate her. She has this picture of me being a successful pastor, and when it looks like I'm heading the wrong direction, she'll let me know, and I really like it. It has really helped me to know that somebody has hope that I can be the best man and pastor and husband possible, and that she doesn't want to quit on that potential destiny. I've I've been very loved by her, just saying, you're not being the pastor I know you can be, Do you want to go seek the Lord for a little bit? Yes. Also, good thought be a good listener, sisters. And final thought have a willing heart with your guy. Um, one of the things I've been learning over the last while is that sometimes the power of God and the blessing of God is on the other side of doing things you don't want to do that don't seem naturally like something you would enjoy but it's there Nobody wants to die. And often, dear brothers, we can want to do the negotiating. What's the least amount of dying I can do and still get what I want in my marriage? Dear brothers, let's die all the way. Let's die all the way. Because the power of God is on the other side. God doing what we can't do is on the other side. Amen? Let's die all the way. Kill him real good, Jesus, kind of stuff. How many times did I phone Ron McLean in the last year, and the end of his prayer for me was, kill him real good, Jesus. Jesus. Doesn't feel like a blessing in the moment. But the power of God's on the other side. Dear sisters, does the S word feel like a curse? The power of God's on the other side. Jesus doing what you can't do for yourself is on the other side. This is why we're the church. We believe that God is alive and can do what we can't do. our job, and we're going to worship in a second here, is to put all of our trust in Jesus, put our hope in his scripture, and be used by him to have rivers of living water come out of our hearts. Amen. Father God, I just give you this time we live in where it seems like the very act of trying to rescue people from wasting their lives is illegal. We want to love people. We want to see people come to the God who loves them. We need wisdom. We need courage. We want strength. I pray, Jesus, you'd help us to do our part to embrace your ways and with hope look to you to do the miracles and the impossible. Father, every single one of us can probably think of somebody right now who is trapped getting drunk with wine or whatever else the world has to offer instead of being filled with the Spirit. And we lift them up to you right now. Would you save Jesus? And as your beloved bride, who you've determined to make beautiful and glorious without spot or blemish, we look to you with hope looking for you to do what we could never do. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you. Amen.